0: What part of us is it that is of most interest to God? Well, that's where we're going we're gonna to look at the Scripture today. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. And we're going to be looking uh, at verse number 16 to start. Acts 13, verse number 16. The Bible says, then Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand, said, men of Israel and ye that fear God give audience. The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with, with a high arm brought, them, or brought he them out of it. And about the time of 40 years suffered he their manners in the wilderness. And he put up with them for 40 years is what they're saying. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their land to them by lot. And after that, he gave unto them judges about the span of 450 years until Samuel the prophet and afterward, they, they, des- they desired a king, and God gave unto them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of 40 years. I want you to pay especially special attention to verse 22. And when he had removed him, meaning when God had removed Saul, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, A man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Let's go ahead and take a minute right now and just just ask God to bless our day-to-day and the the message. Dear God, we we thank you for the freedom that we enjoy to come and worship together, Lord. Just thank you for uh, this body of people uh, that uh, has come out, Lord. We pray that you will help us to focus, to pay attention, um, uh, just to to, uh, hear uh, the message from your word, not, not, not the messenger, but the message, Lord. I pray that you would help us and uh, allow, it to, allow us to apply it to our lives. We'll ask this in your name. Amen. So in this passage, the Apostle Paul, is, he's kind of explains to us how God saw David. It says there at the end of verse 22, he says, He saw him as a man after mine own heart who will fulfill all my will. And, you know, what an incredible, what an incredible testimony of a life well lived. You know, I think it's interesting that we should point out here that this is not Paul's opinion of David. What what, what does it say there in verse 22? He he said, uh, and and to whom he or to, to whom also he gave testimony, who gave testimony? This is God's testimony of David right here. That he was a man after his own heart. Again, can you imagine? I mean, you know, what, what is it that's going to be put on your tombstone, right? I mean, that would be pretty awesome. That would be the ultimate testimony of a life well lived would be to say that he was a man after God's own heart. You know, and this, in all honesty, this absolutely should be the desire of every man, woman, and child who claims the name of Christ. Is it not? we we should desire to have a heart like god we should desire to have a the the heart of god you know if we if we really want to have uh you know god's blessing on our lives if we if we want to be blessed like david was if we want to be used like david was then really we have to have a heart for god like david did you know another thing i want to point out is that you know david was recognized as being a man after god's own heart but what's interesting is that nowhere in scripture does it say that there can only be one man after god's own heart it doesn't say that this this is not meant this description was not meant to be something that was exclusive to david god desires for each and every one of us to be described that way he des- he desires for each and every one of us to be a man or a woman or a child after his own heart. You know, if you're visiting with us today or you're not, you're not really familiar with the church scene or whatever, uh, you know, I just want you to understand that when we use words like heart in this context, you know, we're not talking about the vascular organ that resides in your chest and that pumps blood throughout your body. That, that's not what we're talking about. And just so you know, we're not trying to be overly spiritual or overly religious or anything of that, that uh, you know, or just being churchy, I guess you could say. But, uh, you know, when we say that, the heart refers to the innermost part of a man that determines his character of living. You know, the heart has been described as the womb of character. I thought that was pretty adequate. You know, in fact, if if we were using if we had a copy of the of Webster's 1828 dictionary with us today, we could open it, take a look at it, and you know, what we would see, the first thing that we would actually notice when we do that is that Webster actually used scripture to define the word in the proper context. And I thought that was pretty amazing. But, you know, and I'm not going to take the time to uh, go through Webster's whole outline, but I want to summarize the definition this way. It said, the innermost recesses of the mind, talking about the heart, the heart is the innermost recesses of the mind, that which houses the seat of the will, along with our secret purposes, intentions, and desires. Or designs. sorry, could be desires. But I'd say that pretty well sums it up. I'd say that pretty well sums it up. You know, it's interesting that, Next to next to Jesus, if we were to identify one person that the Bible seems to reveal in more detail or allows us a a deeper look into their personal life, I I would have to say that it has to be David. It has to be David. And, you know, I don't think that's by coincidence either. I don't think that's the case. You know, if you know anything about the life of David, you, you certainly know that he wasn't perfect. But it seemed that he always was centering his life around God's interests or God's desires. His heart was right. He had a heart with, for for God. That that was that was his desire, was to be a man after God's own heart. You know, I also find it just absolutely fascinating that if you follow David's life through Scripture, uh, you you see that David was described. Uh, you know, in many different ways. You know, the Bible would uh, would definitely describe him as a a mighty warrior, a valiant general, an inspired leader. He was a successful businessman. He was a skilled marksman. Amen. And certainly, he was a gifted psalm writer. You know, if if it was us that was that were choosing, just based on everything that we see here on the outside. You know, these attributes alone would probably be enough for us to choose David as king. But according to Scripture, we see that that's not what God was interested in. God wasn't interested in any of those things. In fact, maybe a lot of those things you could say were actually attributes that having God in his life, that God actually enhanced those attributes. But those those physical characteristics, those attributes, Those attributes, that wasn't what God was interested in. The Bible says that God was interested in... He he chose David because of his heart. He chose David because of his heart. Now, based on that same criteria, would God choose you? Would God choose you? I want to ask you a very personal question, but I don't want anybody to answer out loud. I don't want you to answer out loud. I just want you to think about the question. Do you have a heart for God? Does Grace Baptist Church collectively, do we have a heart for God? You know, the answer is between you and God, obviously. But can we all agree we all know what God wants that answer to be? Yeah, it's, it's really pretty convicting when you spend a lot of time thinking about that. And uh, I, I know that hit me, Justin and I, we were, we were just kind of having a conversation over here. And th- th- this, this is what hits you when you're preparing a message. You, you, you have to be prepared to face the convictions of the things that you're getting ready to tell the people, you know, because it's, it's, it's really it's about me. It's, I'm just sharing with you what God's told me. And, uh, you know, so can we really become a man or a woman or a child after God's own heart? Can we really have a heart for God? I, I, I think the answer is yes. If, here's that if statement, if we're willing to prioritize our life for the things in our life the way that David did, I think that we could absolutely do this. So really with, with what time we have left, I want to kind of um, just outline some things that I think are going to help us uh, to to develop a heart for God. That's going to be our focus. I want us to develop a heart for God, which is exactly what God wants for each and every one of us. So the first thing I want you to notice when we're talking about developing a heart for God, the first thing I think we need to focus on is a heart that desires a personal relationship with God. I want you to go and turn to Psalm 119 with me, if you would. Psalm 119. Psalm 119, and we're going to look at verse number 9, actually verses 9 through 16. The Bible says in Psalm 119, starting verse 9, it says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereunto according to thy word? <clears throat> with, with my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. With my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. You know, you might be here today and you might be thinking, you know, hey, Brother Jeff, uh, I, I just don't know about all this stuff, you know. I think David was really—he was a one of a kind type person that God used to do some pretty special things. And you know that may be that may be your thought, but let me ask you: w- Was David perfect? Was David sinless? No, no, a- absolutely not. Of course not. But here's the difference. He chose to make his relationship with God the main priority of his life. That's what made David stand out to God. It was his heart. You know, David allowed God to mold and to fashion his heart into that which would be pleasing unto him, meaning God. That, that was David's, that was his intent. So how, how, do, you, how do you know that? How, how so? It's right here in, in these scriptures. If we just took this, this passage of Psalm 119 and we went through this, through those verses, each one, we would identify certain things that that really defined David's attitude toward all of this. Verse 9, he says, By taking heed to God's word. Verse 10, by seeking God. Verse 11, by hiding God's word in his heart. Verse 12, by learning God's statutes. Verse 14, by rejoicing in the way of God's testimonies. Verse 15, by meditating on God's precepts. Verse 16, by delighting in God's statutes. You know all of these things are a testimony to the emphasis that David had on his per- personal relationship with god and it 's exactly why god desire, what, de- what God desires from us you know god he He loves it when we give him our attention and uh, It reminds me uh probably it 's been ten or twelve years ago I, uh, I I accepted a business meeting with a uh, a foreign dignitary and it was arranged by a friend of mine in Chicago who was uh, heavily involved in uh, just kind of fostering the relationship between industry and politics and all of that. And he was was told, he was brought in on something where he was told this gentleman was coming from the country of Oman it's in the Middle East. It's one of those oil-bearing nations, if you will. And so he was coming over here from Oman, and the intent was he wanted to meet with some, some key industry people and uh, kind of gather some information to bring back to his country. Uh, he was kind of involved in uh, industry and commerce and things of that nature. And uh, it just so happened that one of his personal friends or relatives or whatever the case may be, that they, they were actually one of the wealthiest men in the world. So you have this guy coming over and... Uh, Uh, how in the world he got hooked up with me, I don't know. But uh, I didn't – I asked him if he wanted an autograph, but he he didn't really seem to be interested in that. But, uh, you know, it's interesting because, I mean, I'm telling you, this dude held a a position of preeminence in his country. And, uh, I I mean, like, it it was a royal government type of position. And uh, what what was interesting is that uh, he was meeting with me, uh, a slightly – refined redneck if you will and i'm not even sure about the refined part but you know can i just say that nowhere in my training to become an engineer did they cover proper etiquette on meeting with foreign dignitaries let alone royalty we've got a lot of engineers here did they cover that with anybody else did i miss that class because i didn't get that and and you know we're at dinner that night, and um, you know we were really we were just we were enjoying a very stimulating conversation. I had been reading both the dictionary and Thesaurus to kind of help bolster my position, you know, just to kind of prepare for this guy. And you know, and I, honestly, I was I was holding my own. I was holding my own with this guy. I mean, we were we were engaged in conversation, everything was going well until the food showed up. <laughs> then, then I kind of got distracted by the food, I suppose. But the thing is, is that he wanted to continue the conversation during dinner. And one of those details that I did not understand about, you know, whatever, proper etiquette of meeting and dining with royalty was that what he meant by that was that while he ate and continued to talk, I was just supposed to apparently sit there and hang on his every word like, oh, really, tell me more, right? <laughs> You know, that, that was, I think that was his expectation. So, I, I mean, every time I would look down, literally, I mean, every time I would look down to like, you know, cut my dinner or whatever, I mean, he he would say, Look at me when I'm talking to you. Look at me when I'm talking to you. Now, I probably got the accent wrong, but I think you know what I mean, right? He 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 it was like as if he, he he felt that his position absolutely demanded my attention. Now, did did he deserve my attention? Yeah, probably. But in all fairness, did I deserve to eat? Absolutely I did. And and I don't I don't know. You know, we laugh about situations like that, but seriously, I mean if if we were if we had the opportunity to meet the president or a king or a queen, and they wanted to spend time with us, we would probably rearrange everything in our schedule to meet with them. And you could say you wouldn't, but you probably would. You, you know, we prob- that's how we work, and and we, we we would just change everything. However, when it comes to our heavenly Father. The king of kings, the one who is so worthy of all of our time and our attention. We often neglect him, you know, and and what we, you know, we we neglect him to the point where uh, just we fail to build on the personal relationship that he desires to have with us. And, you know, here in Psalm 119, the passage we just read, we can clearly see David's relationship and his attitude towards God's word, toward his precepts and toward his statutes. So how about us? I mean, the question then gets, gets directed right back to us. How about us? What is our relationship and our attitude towards God's word? What is our relationship and our attitude towards prayer? Let me tell you, these are the exact things that will help us build a personal relationship with God. They're the fuel that, that feeds the hunger to develop that personal relationship with God, to have a heart for God. And something we've got to be very mindful of. So that'd be the first thing. If we want to develop a heart for God, we've, we've definitely got to have a desire, a heart that desires to have a personal relationship with God. The second thing that I want to point out is the fact that we need to focus on a heart that obeys God. Now, I want you to go ahead and t- turn to Psalm 139, if you would. Psalm 139. And while you're turning there, I'm just going to tell you that a week or so ago in the Wednesday night of Bible class, uh, you know, the folks that were in there, they got kind of a full preview on this one singular topic, talking about obedience to God. And... Uh, I'm sure there's a couple of thoughts here that are going to cross over, so bear with me, but we want to try to make an application toward having a heart for God. Psalm 139, verses 23, verse 23 and verse 24, the Bible says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, I explained obedience in the Wednesday night class. I explained uh, obedience this way: I said obedience is doing exactly what God says, when He says it, how He says it, and for whatever reason He says it. You know, and I think as we as we look at this passage right here in Psalm 139, I think we I think we can understand that David had this figured out. He seemed to have had this figured out. You know, I want you to notice. There's two things I really want you to notice in this passage. I want you to notice both the invitation and the request. Those are, we see those in David's own words. You know, in verse 23, David is asking, or he's inviting God to search me. And then later on in that same verse, he's, he's, he's inviting God to try me. You know, it's not as if God didn't know already what was on David's heart. That that's, that's, that goes without question. But let me help you understand something. David was at the point in his relationship with God that he was offering this. He was inviting God and he wanted God to show him if there was any sin or any disobedience in his life that he needed to make right. He wanted, even even if it was something so obscure that it just completely slipped his mind, he wanted God to make him aware of that. So that he could make it right, so that there would be nothing between him and God, there would be nothing that would interrupt that relationship. You know that that's the invitation part. But beyond that, in verse 24, we also see a request. David made a request to lead me. He said, "Try." Uh, he, he, he said, uh, "Rather, he said, search me, try me." Those were invitations. And then he asked God, he made a request, to lead me. He said, lead me in the way everlasting. You know, David is interesting because he made active choices in his life that demonstrated this desire to obey God. You know, we need to understand that there's no room for passivity when it comes to obedience. There's no room. When it comes to obeying God, there's no, no room for that. You know, the level of commitment that God desires, it requires an active choice on our part. You know, part of our problem when it comes to obeying God is that we often sit in sermons like this, and we're sitting under the teaching and the preaching and all of those things, and we hear what it is that God wants us to do. But the problem is, is that we, we don't listen to what god wants us to do and and you know you might be sitting here and you're thinking wait isn't that the same thing i heard you i'm listening to you no no that we're not that's not the same thing ask any teacher in this room and they'll tell you there's a big difference between hearing and listening parents you probably know there are times when your kids hear you but they're not listening you know what i mean and i know that uh I know I've shared this story with a few of you before, and uh, some, some of you have heard this. But I have to tell you, there's so many life lessons that I have drawn from this story that I always just feel compelled to use it whenever I can. And uh, it, it's, it's a little lengthy, but I, I promise it'll be worth it. So when I was 15 years old, I grew up here in Ohio. When I was 15, I moved to Florida. And uh, I had lived there for about six months Uh, And some friends of I decided that we were going to go canoeing on a large river just outside of Tampa. And we knew that there were alligators in the water. We we knew that, but we didn't really think too much about it, to be honest with you. So shortly after we started, uh, we encountered a group of people that were coming the other way. And with a panicked voice, they were telling us, you need to turn around. You need to go back. There's a really big alligator up here on the bank. And, you know, we heard him, but to be quite honest with you, we were too wrapped up in our own interests to to really listen, to pay attention and and really be concerned about it. So sure enough, we we came around to this next bend and, and there was there was this. Uh, probably seven, eight-foot alligator up on the bank, and we looked at it, and we kind of laughed because it was, it was obviously very young. It was kind of skinny and scrawny type thing, and, you know, he was just sitting up there and sunning and all of that, and and we just kind of laughed about it, you know, like, a uh, tourist, right? You know, I'd lived there like six months. I'm practically native. And anyway, we, we continued on, and we went around this next bend, and we saw... What they were really talking about, um, there on the other bank, was the largest alligator I have ever seen in my life. I mean, I always tell people, this thing was like 57 feet long. It was, it was huge, right? It was big. Well, I'll tell you what, how many of you have you ever seen one like one of those old Godzilla movies? You know? Ah, that's how big it was. I'm, pretty sure, I'm sure of it. That's how big this thing was. It, I mean, it was massive. I mean the size of its head and its neck and its body. It 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 just looked mean, you know. Not not that I've ever really met a nice alligator, I suppose. But anyway, it it, it just it was crazy. I'm telling you, when we went around that bend, all of the laughing and the giggling it stopped, and it seemed as if, in all honesty, it seemed as if time stood still, and. We no longer heard birds. We no longer heard the water flowing or anything. All we saw was this massive alligator. And unfortunately, the alligator saw us too. And it, it was amazing. I mean, it was, this was like a scene right out of Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Is there anybody here that's my age or older that would remember that? Marlon Perkins, right? Yeah. This was a scene right out of that show. This alligator, as big as it was, it kind of lifted up and did this thing right into the water and started to swim toward us. And uh, I, I have to be honest with you, the first thought that entered my mind was, can alligators smell pee? <laughs> now, now before you ru- I'm probably not supposed to say that in church, am I? No. Now listen, before you rush to judge me, I mean you weren't there, right? You you were not there, and I am not admitting to wetting my pants. I'm just saying it weighed heavily on my mind in the moment. That that was just that was just a question that came up. Whatever, you know, for whatever reason, you know. I, I I don't know how we managed to do this, but we we literally turned that canoe like it was on a rail, you know, just kind of just. Right around, I, I don't, I don't know how we did it, but we did, and and that alligator was right behind us. It was in pursuit mode, and the only thing I know is that Jeff Bradshaw was not going to die at the hands of that alligator. And you know, you say, Wait, why are you, why are you I'm talking about yourself in third person? Well, it's been a few minutes, and I thought you need to be reacquainted with the hero of a story, and I'm Jeff Bradshaw, right? So I, I was not going to die at the hands of that alligator. And by the way, Kenzie, I know you're thinking this. It's not the hands of the alligator that I was really worried about. It was, it's kind of a figure of speech, you know what I'm saying? But that that thing came down into the water and was chasing us. We turned that thing around, and... Uh, honest to goodness, this is. I remember thinking this: that you know, if we could get close enough to shore or the bank or whatever, you know, if we tipped it, I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but this is the truth. I just remember thinking, I don't have to outswim the alligator; I just have to outswim Rob. He was my buddy who was in the canoe with me. Right? There was only one problem with this, and that I was in the back of the canoe, closest to the alligator. Which means that I was probably going to have to shank Rob or something to kind of hinder him. This is awful. This is, wow, you should have confession right now. But anyway, I, I, I just remember all of this playing out. Now, the funny thing is I see Paul Kendig here and and I'm thinking to myself, how different would this story be if I were in the canoe with Paul Kendig, right? This would have had a totally different ending because I'm envisioning Paul jumping into the river and swimming up to and after that alligator and him going under the water with a knife in his mouth or whatever. And then that alligator swimming this way and this way, frantically trying to get away from Paul Kindig, and Paul coming out of that water with a belt and matching boots. That, that's what I'm envisioning. So listen, I, you know, obviously I survived. You know, I told that story one time and a guy was like, so what happened? <laughs> I, I obviously survived that encounter, but honestly, it could have ended badly. I, I mean, th- this was, this was real. This was terrifying, right? And, and it could have ended badly. You know, I, I, my point is this. Is that we heard the warning, we heard the instructions, but we weren't listening. You know, we, we you, you ever been there? You, you ever been in a church service where you wouldn't you go home? Somebody somebody asked you, oh, "What did you think about what the pastor said?" I don't know. I don't remember where he signed. I, I was thinking about dinner. I was. You, we hear these things, but we're not listening you know it's it 's important we 've got to make sure that we pay attention, and to my point earlier, the distinction between hearing and listening listening it's it 's significant. you know hearing is an involuntary act. you can be just sitting somewhere and you can hear things all day long, but listening is a voluntary act that it requires you to make sense of the words that you 're hearing with the intent to earnestly receive them with understanding how often do we miss that part of it you know sitting in a sermon and hearing the pastor preach and we're hearing everything we hear it we're just not listening let me tell you we can't apply there's no way that we can possibly apply it to our lives if we're not listening to him you remember what we said about desiring a personal relationship with God and how he is so worthy of our time and our attention you know, the same concept applies to a heart that obeys God. He's so worthy of our attention that we should study and listen intently to his word, his precepts, his statutes, and meditate on them as David did. This this should be the desire of our heart. You understand that? You know, listen, I I, I don't want this to come out wrong, but I don't think it will if you follow through. If you're listening to this whole statement, I don't think it will. You know, going to church, reading the Bible, you know, praying, all of those things, they're all good things. But if we're allowing things in our lives that don't fit our identity in Christ, we're only partially obeying God. And that's kind of, a, it's kind of one of those things where you've got to sit and think about it for a second and let it kind of sink in and marinate on it. But it's absolutely true. You know, partial obedience, I made this statement in the adult class uh, last Wednesday, partial obedience is the greatest enemy to obedience. You know, I thought about that and, and I wrote this note down just this morning before the service as I was studying and preparing. I wrote this note down, you know, talking about partial obedience. You know, it makes us feel safe. You know, we feel good about ourselves when when we're doing some of these steps. We're we're attending church, you know, maybe, maybe we crack the Bible open, maybe we pray, all of these things. It makes us feel safe. We feel good about ourselves. We feel good about what we've done, right? But if we're, like we said earlier, if we're allowing other things to come into our life that don't fit into our identity with Christ, who we are in Christ, it's only partial disobedience. So, you know what, it makes us feel good, but it doesn't bring us any closer to God. You know, if we're not completely obeying him, you know the man that David succeeded as king of Israel, King Saul, he was a prime example of this. The Bible outlines that in First Samuel. Listen, you have to understand, God loves us unconditionally, and he has an amazing plan for our lives If, if we follow him wholeheartedly, that's the caveat right there. He deserves our obedience. So, again, the goal here is to develop a heart for God. So we know that we need to have a heart that desires to have a personal relationship with God. We need to focus on a heart that obeys God. The last thing that we have is the third thing that we need to focus on is a heart that trusts God, a heart that trusts God. I want you to turn to Psalm 23. Psalm 23, obviously a very familiar passage to, I'm sure, most everyone. Psalm 23, and we're going to read the entire chapter, only six verses. Psalm 23, starting in verse 1, the Bible says, by the way, these are the words of David. All of these psalms that I'm sharing with you today, these are all psalms of David. These are all psalms that David wrote. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, it's it's interesting. When when we think about that idea of trusting God, our our minds are automatically drawn to the very simple yet very direct instruction that we see in Proverbs chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, lean not to thine own understanding. That's good, it is, it's absolutely good, it's absolutely true. But you know, if there were ever a psalm that embodied the idea of trusting in God, in my opinion, and it's just my opinion, but I think it's Psalm 23. You know, many people associate this psalm as uh, one of comfort, and it is. But the fact is, it's hard to have comfort in something or someone if there's no trust, you know, we can think about this on very simple terms. Have you ever sat in one of those really, 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 really cheap plastic resin chairs? I'm talking about the Vietnamese knockoff of the Chinese knockoff of the resin chair. You know what I mean? The thing if you've ever sat in one of those and maybe it's just me being gravitationally challenged. I don't know. But you sat in that chair and it's got a, an unfamiliar feeling, this unsettled feeling. You know, it's hard to be comfortable in one of those chairs because you never know at which moment it is going to collapse. That, that leg is going to just go under and you're going to go toppling to the ground and and your friends will be there to laugh and point at you. It's very hard to be comfortable with something that you don't trust, right? You know, I I just, uh, again, I I, I know many people associate this with comfort, and there's nothing wrong with that, absolutely nothing wrong with that. But, you know, I, I hope that you can see how the first two points worked in harmony uh, to to uh, toward the idea of developing a heart for God. And I feel that this last point, this third point here, I feel that it is right in line with all of that, with that whole concept of well, of developing a heart for God. You see, we can't truly enjoy a personal relationship with God if we don't obey him. And here's the, the next part of that, is that we won't obey him if we don't trust him. Simple but true. You know, I spoke earlier about all of the talents and the abilities that David had, the things that the Bible lists, how it describes him. And, and it just is so many positive ways, right? I mean, how would you like your resume to read like David's, right? I think it would be pretty awesome. But, you know, it, it seems to me that it, maybe it just might be possible that it, it could have been easy for David to trust in his own abilities or, you know, all of those attributes that we talked about, his own talents. But as you read through this psalm, this 23 psalm, we see that we, we not only see his complete trust, but his utter dependence upon God. Now I think that's really important. He trusted God. He depended on God. He didn't, he didn't trust in his own abilities. He didn't trust in his own talents. His trust was completely and wholeheartedly in God. You know, it's interesting... Um, as a couple of weeks ago on a Wednesday night, Nathan Arling was teaching in the uh, Awana class. And uh, he was talking to the kids about um, how Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal there at Mount Carmel. And one of the points that he made was he was pointing out to the kids and talking to the kids about how how much trust and the dedication that those prophets of Baal that how much trust and dedication they had to a false God. And you know what? It kind of struck me. I I I couldn't help but be struck by this thought that around the world, there are so many people that have more trust and put more faith in a false God than we do to the one true God. Man, that's convicting. That just kind of hits you like a hammer right there. You know, those those prophets of Baal, they were so zealous. There, were, there was so much enthusiasm to the point where they were cutting themselves and calling on, on the name of Baal. But of course, we know he didn't answer them. He was a false god. You know, David understood that he could trust God with his, his whole heart. Now, you might ask, how, how did... How did David come to this conclusion? How is it that David could come to the conclusion that he could trust God with his whole heart? Well, really, pretty simple. His faith was often temp, temp or, or tried. And, you know, whether it was facing a giant who defiled the God of Israel or whether it was dealing with, Uh, a rebellious child who was intent on taking over uh, the kingdom. You know, David faced trials, and he he did this often. And you know what? His faith, his trust was strengthened through every one of those trials. I put another note down here this morning that I, I, I just happened to think about while I was kind of preparing. And you know, the fact is, is that if we fully trust in God, if we fully trust in him, you know, the Holy Spirit is going to enable us uh, to stand throughout life's trials. You know, when we're leaning on him, it's easy to stand when we're leaning on him. It absolutely is. But we've got to put our entire trust, our full trust, we to, with our whole heart. We've got to do that. And, you know, I, I want to just kind of address our, we're almost done, I promise you. I just want to address our young kids this morning. I just want to tell you this. You know, you young people, I just want you to know that the world is going to try to tempt you. It's going to tell you that uh, you can put your trust in a false system, a false hope, or a false God, small g. You know, it's going to do all of that. They're going to tempt you in the name of fashion. They're going to tempt you in the name of entertainment. But these things can't offer you any hope. And they have absolutely zero redeeming value at all. You know, quite simply, we just need to place our trust in Jesus Christ for he alone is our hope. You know, we need to to actively decide to concern our heart with the concerns of God's heart. You know, we need, need to begin to trust him in every area of our life. That last part, that's not just for the kids. That's for everybody. That's for all of us. You know, David was a man after God's own heart you know, because he desired a personal relationship with God. He desired to obey God. He trusted God with all of his heart. So I ask you, do we do these things? How, how do we desire these things in our life? You know, do we truly desire to have a heart for God? Listen, I know that I've I primarily have been addressing Christians in the room today. And, and I, I honestly hope that you were listening, not just hearing, but I hope that you were listening. But, you know, maybe you're here today and you think, you know, Brother Jeff, I, I don't have a heart for God because I don't know him. There's never been a time in my life where I put my trust and faith in him and ask him to forgive me of my sin and, and, and have that opportunity of repentance to, to turn and turn toward God. You know, if that's you today, can I just tell you that that is absolutely the first step in developing a heart for God. If you're not saved, if you're not sitting in this room today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, let me just say you there's no way that you can have a heart for God. That's the first step. So you know what? Here in just a few minutes, we're going we're gonna to have a, a song of invitation. We're going to open our altars. And if that's you, I, I promise you, we would not embarrass you in any way. And I, And I promise you this too. Everybody that you see around you in this room today, they would be so happy for you to have made that decision. It would be the best decision that you've ever made in your life. But I, I just want to offer this to you. You come see me. Come see any of these gentlemen, these ladies that you see here. And you know what? We will show you how you can know for sure that heaven will be your home. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Holy Father, we thank you uh, for the day that you've given us, Lord. We thank you for this message. Lord, I know... Then preparing for this message, it spoke to my heart, Lord, and how we need to maybe rearrange our priorities and focus on things that matter to you.